Welcome to this special WHO and BGSM collaboration. I'm Daniel Friedman, and today I have the privilege of speaking with Professor Fiona Bull and Dr. Juana Willemson from the WHO's Department of Health Promotion. They both lead the WHO's global work on physical activity. Fiona, Juana, thank you for being on the podcast. Hello. Hi, Daniel. Thank you. In 2010, the WHO released their global recommendations on physical activity for health, which outlined recommended levels of physical activity throughout the week for children and adolescents, adults, and older adults. It has already been a decade since the release of these guidelines, and today I believe you both have some very exciting news to share. Yes, Daniel, thank you very much. Today we launched the 2020 Guidelines for Physical Activity and Sedentary Behaviour, the updated of 2010, produced by WHO and the large collaboration. Why are these updated guidelines needed and who are they for? Well, they're updated because the science moves on and it's important to uh, take stock of the latest evidence on physical activity and sedentary behaviour and identify and agree consensus-based recommendations on the relationship between physical activity, benefits and risks to health outcomes. And this document provides that latest scientific evidence and the consensus from the process that we undertook. The reason for them and the end users of them is really everyone. WHO produces these as a global good, but the primary user are governments, so they can review and update their national guidelines, but also others in the health sector and beyond who can, from professional associations and other organisations, review the document and align their policy positions with this latest science and the WHO recommendations. Of course, the main messages are for all of us then about the benefits of being active. Juana, how are the guidelines developed? WHO have a very rigorous process for developing guidelines and we brought together a large group of experts, practitioners and end users who reviewed all the science that was available over the last decade and developed specific recommendations for each population group across the life course. To do this, we identified the most recent and comprehensive umbrella reviews and systematic reviews and underwent a process of updating these. So really our guideline development group were looking at the very latest evidence that was available in order to formulate these recommendations. Looking at the evidence, what counts as physical activity? Does it have to be part of an exercise program or in the gym? All sorts of physical activity count, and I think that's one of the really important messages that we're trying to put across about these guidelines. Physical activity isn't just sport and exercise. It can be part of household activities, whether it's vacuuming, weed sweeping or mopping the floor. It's also using the stairs instead of using an escalator or or a lift. It's walking, uh, brisk walking, for example, walking to school, walking to the shops, walking to work. So there are lots of different ways that you can incorporate physical activity into your everyday activities and tasks. Fiona, what are the main takeaways of the new guidelines? Well, the evidence shows and these recommendations confirm that physical activity is good for your hearts, bodies and minds. It reaffirms the strong relationship and known evidence of the benefits of physical activity for reducing cardiovascular disease, 
cancers, diabetes, hypertension, for example. The new evidence, though, really shows the benefits for our mental health, reduction of risks of depression, anxiety, and improving cognitive functioning. And, of course, then for all the other body systems, uh, muscular strength, uh, bone health. So an extensive set of benefits, which we summarize and say, good for hearts, bodies, and minds. The second key message, though, is every move counts. Really, doing any activity is better than none, and more is better. And we've summarized that in our campaign of Every Move Counts. And perhaps the third highlight I'll mention is the muscle strengthening exercise. It's really important for people of all ages and all abilities, because maintaining muscle strength is good for children in development, and it's good as we get older to maintain balance and flexibility and strength to prevent falls and get lots of other benefits from it. So there's lots in the guidelines, but there are three take-homes. Okay, so let's be a bit more specific now. Juana, what are the recommendations for children and adolescents? So the recommendations for children are that they should do at least an average of 60 minutes per day of moderate to vigorous intensity physical activity, and that on at least three days a week, they do vigorous intensity activities and also incorporate some that strengthen muscle and bones in order to reap the best health benefits. That change from doing at least 60 minutes a day to doing at least an average of 60 minutes a day really reflects the new evidence from device-based measures that show us that children accumulate physical activity in slightly different ways throughout the week. And so the introduction of this word average really allows them to accumulate their activity through the week, aiming for at least 60 minutes a day, but recognizing also that there are some children who may be more physically active on certain days and slightly less on others. Fiona, what about the recommendations for adults? Well, it's recommended for all adults to undertake regular physical activity. I've already mentioned that all activity counts, but there is a recommended range of 150 to 300 minutes of moderate intensity aerobic activity, or its equivalent in vigorous intensity, or combinations of it, per week for substantial health benefits. In addition, adults should do muscle strengthening activities on two or more days a week. And of course, increasing that level of aerobic or muscle strengthening will provide more benefits. So all activity counts, but more is better. What about older adults? The same guidelines I mentioned for adults apply to all older adults with an additional recommendation. It's recommended that older adults undertake multi-component physical activities to prevent falls. Now, multi-component activities are those that require balance, strength, and flexibility combined. And regularly doing multi-component activities at home or outside is good for prevention of falls and highly recommended for older adults. Do the guidelines still recommend that we should do physical activity in at least 10-minute bouts? That is one of the new changes, and evidence shows that it doesn't require 10-minute bouts, and that has now been dropped from the 2020 guidelines. The evidence comes from the device-based measures, which are the wearable devices, and it shows, in fact, that there is a dose-response relationship, and so any amount, any intensity is good for improving health. 
As highlighted in the title of the guidelines for the first time, these guidelines include recommendations about sedentary behaviour. How do you define sedentary behaviour and what is its impact on health? So sedentary behaviour is the sort of almost when you're not moving. Technically, it's often defined using the uh, metabolic equivalence and it's less activity of less than one met. It's often referred to as sitting, but it's when we're not moving is classified as sedentary. We've included sedentary behaviour for the first time in these guidelines because there's been an extensive increase in evidence showing associations with a wide range of health outcomes. And we were requested at WHO to include sedentary behaviours in these new physical activity guidelines. You'll notice, though, that when we talk about sedentary behaviour, we don't specifically talk about sitting and avoiding sitting time. And one of the reasons for that is that the guidelines for the first time also include specific recommendations for people living with disabilities. And we recognise that there may be some people living with disabilities who sit for most of the day, for example, wheelchair users, yet can be physically active and not actually be sedentary. They might be doing upper body activities, for example, such as actively wheeling their chair or engaging in physical activity using their, their upper body. And so we've been very careful with the language we've used that we always um, refer to sedentary behaviour rather than just sitting. Are all sedentary behaviours equally harmful? No, I mean, and the... The, the recommendations and the guidelines do recognise that some sedentary behaviours are actually a really important part of our social interaction. And for example, being sedentary while studying, uh, reading or, or talking with friends it is a really important part of our lives. So there are some sedentary behaviours which are helpful, useful, uh, an important part of, of life. But the vast majority of excess sedentary behaviour where people are sitting, they're not moving, they're not being active for many, many hours all in a row, those are the ones that really have the greatest uh, health impact. You mentioned many hours all in a row. Do the guidelines include recommendations about thresholds of sedentary time throughout the day? How long should we be sitting or not sitting for? Well, I mentioned the science has increased in this area, but it hasn't established a definitive amount of time that the scientific process guideline development group could identify. It would appear and evidence shows that higher levels of sedentary are more likely to increase your risk of detrimental health effects but it's not able yet to define the exact amount. That's why the WHO guidelines firstly say to all to reduce your sedentary time. There's a second guideline, which is if you have to have large amounts of sedentary time, perhaps through work, then it's recommended you do increase your physical activity of any intensity to offset those potential risks to health. In these new updated guidelines, you have included three new population groups, pregnant and postpartum women, people living with chronic conditions, and as Juana mentioned before, people living with disability. Juana, is physical activity safe during pregnancy and postpartum? What do the guidelines recommend? 
So the guidelines recommend that pregnant and postpartum women do at least 150 minutes of physical activity a week. And we reviewed the evidence and found that there was no increased risk to both maternal and fetal health for women who, who engaged in physical activity. And in fact, there was a decreased risk of preeclampsia, gestational hypertension and gestational diabetes. In addition, women who before they became pregnant were habitually engaged in vigorous intensity activity and were very physically active can certainly continue to do those activities through pregnancy and the postpartum period. Obviously, this is for women without any contraindications. They should be under the care of an antenatal care provider. And if they have any concerns, they should always seek advice from their healthcare provider. Many of our listeners understand the importance of physical activity for the prevention and management of chronic disease. Fiona, which conditions are included in these guidelines and what are the recommendations? We included uh, four conditions for this round of the updated guidelines. These were for people living with uh, type 2 diabetes, people living with hypertension, cancer survivors and people living with HIV. Previous 2010 guidelines implicitly applied across these categories with the exception of HIV, but this round and updating explicitly included this group and looked at the literature on the benefits for people uh, living with these conditions for physical activity and sedentary behaviours. Are the guidelines different from other populations? Are they different from the adult recommendations? The guidelines for these four population groups are the same as for adults and older adults. The evidence that underpins these comes from specific research done studying the benefits over time with these populations, but it includes a number of additional health outcomes. For example, it specifically looks at the benefits for the prevention of disease progression and shows that by being regularly active to the same amount of 150 to 300 minutes per week with all moving count and more being better is beneficial for these population groups. Is it possible to lump together these chronic conditions and come out with a common set of recommendations? Well, Daniel, they're not so much lumped together because it's, it's important to understand that the literature was reviewed separately, for example, in the area of cancer survivors. So it's the literature base on those living with cancer and cancer survivors and the disease progression and other health outcomes. It's just that overall, across the four populations I've mentioned, the evidence was similar. Indeed, more is better and the approximate range of 150 to 300 minutes does provide the substantial health benefits we've mentioned. So it's indeed a sort of combining to keep the message simple for people that any amount of activity is important, including for these population groups. Juana, you've already spoken a little bit about the recommendations for people living with disability, but to round out all of these additional, these new population groups, could you speak about the specific recommendations for people living with disability? When we reviewed the evidence for people living with disability, we actually encountered quite quite an issue because there has been relatively little research outside some of the research for physical activity for rehabilitation, but little 
evidence is available for for people living with disability and engaging in physical activity in the community as part of their everyday living. And so we were able to identify evidence for people living with a limited number of conditions, but felt that the evidence really pointed to benefits of being physically active. And the guideline development group in their expert opinion, felt that there was no reason to believe that some of those metabolic benefits that we see with physical activity would not apply to the general population of people living with disabilities. So we have made recommendations that are the same as those for children, for specifically for children living with disabilities, and the same recommendations as for adults and older adults for that age group that are also living with a disability. We do recognise that some physical activity may be difficult for these groups. It may be difficult to access opportunities to be physically active. And that's one of the really important barriers that I think we need to look at in the future. And they may require the additional support of practitioners who, who, are, who are working in that field and who really know how to help people living with disability make the most of physical activity opportunities. Juana, now that we have the guidelines, what should countries do with them? We very much hope that by developing global guidelines, these can support countries to adopt them, adapt them and tailor them as needed in order to develop their own national guidelines. To date, there there are probably less than 80 countries that have their own national guidelines. And although guidelines in themselves don't change populations' physical activity behaviours, they are a really important step in developing national policies that will promote and support physical activity. Fiona, how is the World Health Organization going to support countries achieve all of this? WHO is going to support countries and others who wish to adopt these guidelines with some tools and resources showing how the steps to adoption making government policy on physical activity, and then tools and resources for implementing the programs and initiatives that are going to be needed to help people implement the guidelines by being more active and less sedentary. We've already started on this task. We've held uh, webinars with many countries in the lead up to the launch of these guidelines, getting ready for the launch, getting ready for countries looking at how and when they'll adopt them in their national cycle of guidelines and policy making. We're also developing tools. We have the active technical package of guidance on interventions for physical activity, and we'll be extending that through 2021-2022 as we work to implement the Global Action Plan on Physical Activity with countries and with all stakeholders. Before we let you both go, Fiona, could you once more please reiterate the key messages from these landmark physical activity and sedentary behaviour guidelines? Yes, thank you, Daniel. Well, the guidelines show that every move counts. Being active regularly is good for your hearts, bodies and minds. That's for all ages and all abilities. In addition, regular muscle strengthening physical activity is also good for everyone and we should all limit sedentary time. If our listeners would like to find out more about the new 2020 WHO Global Guidelines on Physical Activity and Sedentary Behaviour, where should they go? Look on the WHO website. You'll find the summary document of the guidelines in six UN languages. 
You'll also find the main document of the guidelines and the supporting technical annex, which provides a summary and overview of all the science that was used in the development of these guidelines. In addition, interested listeners can look at the special issue of the British Journal of Sports Medicine, where there's a series of papers on both the science and the implication of these guidelines. And there's the supporting papers in the International Journal of Behavioural Nutrition and Physical Activity and forthcoming in the Journal of Physical Activity and Health. And all of these articles are open access. Fiona, Juana, thank you both very much for your time today. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you very much, Daniel. Thank you for listening to this very special WHO and BGSM collaboration. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with friends or leave us reviews and connect to our social media channels. You can listen to a new clinically relevant BGSM podcast every Friday, and there is no better place to find them than on the BGSM app. As always, we hope you have a physically active day.